This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. This morning we're going to continue our series as we've been talking about leadership. And so far we have covered several areas. Uh, We began with the idea that if we're going to talk about church leadership, it has to start at a core, at a fundamental level, and that is uh, an individual level. So you as an individual must believe that Christ is and that he is, uh, that he is our Savior. You must believe in him and you must believe in his word uh, because if you don't, there's already no foundation there. And so you need to be living a life of a disciple and pursuing holiness, pursuing godliness in your own life, building godly character in your own life. That will uh, spread as we look at the qualifications, and we'll read those here in a a moment. Uh, It spreads from there um, into your marriage. And so you, as as specifically, we kind of focus on the men because we're talking about leadership. um, But there's application for all. Uh, It starts with you at the core level, and then from there, look at the relationship you have with your your wife. So you as a husband must be... uh, must be loving and serving your wife and doing the things that we ought to do as a husband. And we talked in, in uh, pretty good detail about the, the ideas that the scriptures have for us to, to lean into. Uh, that is, uh, we're not overlords over our wives, but we are the leader of our home and we are responsible for loving and nourishing and cherishing our bride. Um, and then we looked at being a godly parent. So a father has great responsibility in the way he interacts with his children and the way he trains them and the way he disciplines, uh, and it's all rooted in a foundation of love. And so hopefully you can see the progression here as it grows from, from you as an individual to your marriage, to your children, and then today we'll look at the relationship now with the church and why it's so important uh, for all of these habits and qualities that we've studied before, how it impacts the qualifications of an elder or a deacon in the church. And so today we're going to study and examine uh, the qualifications here uh, that we find in the scriptures for these two roles, the elders and deacons. Uh, And we're going to make some connections to what we studied before as it relates to the work of church leaders. Uh, So first of all, let's look at the model for uh, God's model for church leadership. I think it's important for us to know and understand that there really is a difference in what we see out in the world and what the Bible teaches us to do. Uh, so many denominations and, and churches have come up, and even churches of Christ have adopted uh, all kinds of hierarchies and structures that we just simply don't find in the scriptures. Uh, but what do we find in the scriptures? Uh, the whole reason we, you know, we studied this series, and, and I set out to do this series, is for us to understand what is God's plan for church leadership, and how do we find men that are qualified and, and have effective leadership. But it's important for us to even know what the foundation is or the structure is that God has in place. Uh, in the early church, the apostles would go around to, from place to place. As we, we know, it would begin at Jerusalem, and then it would go out from there. So they went from, Ju- from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, the regions roundabout, and then they started to convert more and more people, and then they started going out to what they should have been doing from that, from that time and, and went out to the Gentiles. And so the apostles would travel to all these different areas and they would convert a lot of people and they would now create these groups of, of Christians. Um, and so now you have all these clusters of Christians in these different regions. Well, 
it's not possible for those apostles to stay there with each one. They needed to keep traveling and keep moving and keep spreading the Word of God. And, uh, of course, there was other roles like evangelists that, that were a part of that as well. Uh, but they needed someone, and, and God ordained that someone to be elders and deacons at a congregation, specifically elders as far as the guidance and the, the care of the church. And so as Paul went about and he traveled to these different regions and these places where he would convert Christians, he would go back there after a time and he would ordain elders. In Acts 14, verse 23, it says, And when they had ordained them elders, that's plural, elders, in every city, and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. So Paul would leave the care of the Christians there uh, to the elders that were appointed. And so they would go and they would select men who were qualified, uh, and they would put elders in every church. So that's important to know and understand. Uh, today we see some structures that there are elders, and then they, they oversee multiple churches. Um, and that really kind of follows the... the you know, I, I mean, I come from Catholicism, and that seems to be one of the earliest uh, deviations from the New Testament church, and is extremely influential, but that really follows the, like a Catholic model, where a man was uh, overseeing a particular church, you have the priest, but he answers to a, a bishop, who then oversees several different churches, and so it's, it's pretty different from what we read here. Paul ordained elders, in every church, in every congregation where the saints met uh, in these different areas, in these towns, in these regions, he would appoint elders to oversee those flocks, those, those parts of the flock there. Because uh, you can look at the flock as one collective, the church, but then individually there's, there's clusters that meet together. He also commanded the evangelist Titus, uh, when he wrote in, in the book of Titus, he commanded him the very same thing. Uh, Titus chapter 1 verse 5. See, they had gone through the region of Crete and they went through all these cities and created, or they found uh, people and they converted uh, people to Christianity. And so now there's all these, new, these groups of Christians that were meeting in these different cities uh, and they, they, didn't, they were lacking something. That was the, they were lacking in the elders that they needed. And so Paul sends Titus out and he says, for this reason I left you in Crete so that you would set in order the things that are wanting or the things that are lacking. They were lacking leadership. They were lacking the appointment of elders at their specific congregations. And so he sets Titus out to ordain elders in every city as I have appointed thee. So that was Titus's job. So they would go back to these places and appoint elders in every church, every congregation. And so each congregation, the model we have in the scriptures is, is that they are under the oversight of elders. And that's plural. Um, there, because there are multiple men that should be appointed to this role in every congregation. It's not just one man, the way we see carried out today, and again, influenced, I believe, by the Catholic Church, where you have a priest who is over a group of people. And that today, you see the same model where you have a pastor who is over a group of people. And so it's very, very similar models. But the Bible shows us that there should be multiple when Paul wrote to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 1, he writes, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus which are at Philippi with the bishops and the deacons. He speaks of these roles in plural. Bishops, multiple. There was multiple men appointed to this role at, uh, at Philippi. And so it stands to reason that there should be multiple elders that are appointed. Again, as they went to every city, they weren't just selecting one man over the congregation. They were selecting multiple men over the congregation. 
Um, and deacons will also talk about that. Uh, we'll touch on that. We won't get it too in-depth on, on the role of deacons necessarily. Uh, but what is an elder in the first place? Um, you know, we, we've already seen a couple of different terms here. There's the word elder and there's the word bishop. If you look at the Greek words that we have, uh, you know, there's, there's three or four common words that are used to describe this office. Uh, there's the word elder, which is uh, a presbu- uh, presbuteros. Um, presbuteros. I, I don't know how to speak the Greek words and pronounce those properly, but uh, that simply means a presbyter, someone who is, who is responsible for overseeing, someone is, who is responsible in this role. There's different verses here that we have. We won't go through and read all of those, but the term elder is used in that context. If you look at other passages, uh, that same Greek word is used even in the, in the Gospels when they are talking about the Jewish elders. So uh, it's important to understand the context and the distinction. But in the context of these passages here, 1 Timothy 5, 17, Titus 1, 5, James 5, 14, and 1 Peter 1, verse 5, he's speaking of this office, that it, that of this appointment, uh, the appointment of this office and the men in this role of an elder. Uh, we also have another Greek uh, word. It's really just kind of the plural of this word elder, uh, uh, pres- presbuteros, but it's presbyterion, and that just means the order of elder or like the group of elders. He to- told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4 verse uh, 14, he said not to neglect the gift that had been imparted to him um, of, of this, this office of being an evangelist and the responsibility that he had imparted to him by the, laying hand on, by the laying on of hands of the presbytery. So they appointed him to this role and to this task. And he says, don't neglect that responsibility uh, that he'd been given. But he simply references the group of elders as the presbytery. Um, you know, if you're, you're seeing this word here, you might be thinking of... of uh, it sound, you might be thinking that it sounds familiar, and there's a reason. Uh, it's because the, you, know, you think about the Presbyterian church... Uh, that's a model that they use. You know, they, they were a Protestant group and they broke off from Catholicism and they decided that they would answer to a group of bishops rather than, you know, the, the Pope uh, and the way they did that. So they, so they answered to this group called the Presbytery. Um, but it simply means a group of elders. It's just the multiple, it's just a plural form of elder. That's all it means. Uh, the other word we have is bishop or overseers. Uh, now, bishop is a term that we know we've heard uh, that's, that's highly associated with the Catholic Church, but the word bishop is used, um, you know, the English word, rather, bishop is used in the scriptures, but the Greek word means episcopate, um, and that you might think of the Episcopal Church, and so, you know, they broke off from Catholicism and, and decided instead of a pope that they would be uh, guided by bishops. Um, and so, but this word bishop, it simply means an overseer, a superintendent. Uh, you find it in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 2, Titus 1, 7, Philippians 1, 1, and Acts 20, verse 28. There's only four times that this word bishop is used in the New Testament, uh, but it's speaking of the same office of an elder, somebody who oversees. And really that word, superintendent, the episcopal, or episcopate, really is kind of the best uh, description or best understanding of what the work is of an elder because they're overseeing, they have oversight, they're superintendents over the flock of God. And if you think of it as a flock of sheep, then the next word that we find in the scriptures to describe this role makes sense, a shepherd or a pastor. That's what the word pastor means, is just a shepherd. In, in, 
the Strong's uh, Dictionary, it's poimain, which means shepherd, and you find that in Ephesians 4 and 1 Peter 2, and there's other verses that use that same uh, Greek word, like Jesus, speaking of Jesus as the great shepherd, and uh, other words like that. So it just means like a shepherd over a flock of sheep. Now, because there are four different words does not mean there are four different offices. And some groups do look at these and separate these out and create all this kind of hierarchy in these structures. But these are all just different words and different terms to describe the exact same role. And there's only one role. So an elder, a presbyter, an overseer, a shepherd, it's all the same role. And so there should be multiple pastors of a group. There should be multiple bishops or elders over a group, um, of, uh, over a congregation. And so that's what uh, all these different words are important to know, um, but they're all referencing the same, the same office. And again, the best summary that we can find is one of an overseer. And we find that in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, when Paul was describing and, and addressing the church, uh, the elders at Ephesus, he says, Take heed therefore to yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God which he has purchased with his own blood. So the men that are appointed to this role are men which the Holy Ghost has appointed them to be overseers of, ordained. They have to be ordained to this office by, uh, either by these apostles or these evangelists that go through is the model or the picture that we have in the New Testament. They're appointed and ordained by evangelists, but it's truly the Holy Ghost putting them in, in this role and the responsibility of overseeing a group of Christians, the souls that are entrusted to their care. And it's the church that belongs to God that he's purchased with his own blood. And so they're like a shepherd responsible for a flock of sheep. And so they must take care to protect and to feed the flock. And the whole purpose is that these shepherds are helping to guide the flock to heaven. They are also part of the flock, but they have been appointed to this role of care and responsibility. That um, is a higher degree of responsibility um, on them, for sure. And so the next question, of course, I think that's natural is, well, what does it take to be an elder? What are the qualifications that we find? And does the Bible say anything about that? Absolutely. The Bible tells us the kind of man, and this is what the study that the whole series has been based on, the Bible tells us the kind of man that should be appointed to this role. We'll read both passages that talk about these qualifications because it's important for us to have the full context. First uh, Timothy 3, 1 through 7, he says, It is a true saying, if a man desire the, the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop, then, must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt or able to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth his own house well, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them, that, of, of them which are without, lest he fall into the reproach and the snare of the devil. So here Paul lays out to Timothy the qualifications. This is what it takes for a man to be in the office of an elder or a bishop, as he calls it here, but to be appointed to this office. A man must meet these qualifications. 
this isn't a, a this, these are non-negotiables uh, for, for the qualities that a man must have in his life and the character that he must have and meet in order to be appointed to this role because it's such a serious role. It's such a serious responsibility to care for the souls that God has entrusted to you. And the Holy Ghost has made you an overseer. If a man is appointed to the office of an elder, he's made that man an overseer of God's flock of people. And so it's extremely important that the right kind of man, the man that meets these qualifications, be in that role. Uh, Because what happens if you appoint a man who is not blameless? What happens if you appoint a man who is not the husband of one wife? Or who is not vigilant? Who is not sober-minded? has no temperance, has no self-control, is not a person that is of good behavior, somebody who just does not like people at all, doesn't want to be around people, is not given to hospitality, can't even teach you the scriptures because he doesn't even know how to teach the scriptures. Um, Maybe it's somebody who really loves to party it up and and drink. He's given to wine. Maybe it's really somebody who, who likes to go out and be contentious and fight with people a striker, somebody who's just going to be uh, just a, a very combative kind of person, uh, somebody who, who is uh, greedy of, for money and wants, wants money, uh, wants it to be in a position where he can control uh, finances and wants to, to have access to that for his own use. What if you appointed somebody who was not patient, but instead just was ready to pick a fight with any person at the drop of a hat and could not control his temper? What if you pick somebody who doesn't rule his own house well, who's not a good husband, who's not a good father to his children? What if you appointed somebody who, as as it mentions here, is a novice, somebody who's just brand new, doesn't know, has no experience, you just kind of toss them in there and hope they figure it out? You know, that's devastating and that's dangerous. He, He mentions why. He said, there's potential for a novice to be filled with pride and fall into the condemnation of the devil. So it gives us insight into what happened to Satan. And so if you put a young person, a person that's inexperienced, uh, we're not given a specific age that an elder needs to be, but if, you're, if you put somebody who is immature and inexperienced in this role, that could go to their head. And then, and then what? How do you think they'll behave and act towards the congregation? Uh, they may become overlords of a congregation and treat them, mistreat them rather than uh, being loving and kind and caring for them. Uh, moreover, he must have a good report of those that are without, those who are outside of the church. You can't live a double life as, as a man who uh, is going to be qualified to be an elder. You can't live a double life. Like, okay, I come to church, and when I interact with the Christians, oh, I'm, it's all good, I'm happy, I'm speaking Christian things, I'm saying Christian stuff, and making people think that I'm faithful. But then when I'm outside of the church, and I'm interacting with the world, or my neighbors, or at work, or wherever, I'm just, you know throw caution in the wind, I can say whatever I want, do whatever I want, and live just a double life. You can't do that. You have to have integrity and be a whole person and be the same person no matter where you're at. And um, so you have to have a good report of people even out in the world and that you work with and your neighbors and those who know you out in the community, uh, unless he should fall into reproach in the snare of the devil. Satan is looking for that trap to set for you, for any man, for any Christian, really, if we're trying to live a double life, he's, trying, he's looking for that trap to set for you so that you will fall into the reproach of the world and so that they will uh, diminish the church of God. 
And so it's especially crucial that we do not appoint any man who cannot meet these qualifications to this role or else it's going to be a world of trouble for a congregation. And I've heard so many stories from evangelists, much more experienced men uh, than I, who, who share stories and accounts of things that, that go wrong when, when good men are not appointed to the role. Or either it's that or they're good men, but they're just not uh, experienced enough and aren't prepared and aren't ready for, for the responsibility that, that, that this entails. And so then things just kind of go south really quickly. Um, I've, I've also heard of, of uh, just wild stories of the way people are appointed. You know, sometimes it becomes who, who is the friends and it becomes political. And it's not about meeting these qualifications at all, but it's a, more about uh, if you're close to the, to the elders that are there, if they like you or if they don't like you, and they'll just kind of appoint their friends. And that's not a good measure of, of whether a man should be an elder, whether you like him or not. It's whether he meets these qualifications or not. Um, because if we don't follow the pattern of the scriptures, then, then what are we doing? There's just no point in continuing on as a congregation if we're not going to listen to the scriptures. Um, let's read the other passage. Titus chapter 1, verse 5 through 9 gives us some similar information, gives us uh, maybe some uh, slightly different ways to think about it. But he says, For this cause I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking, and ordain elders in every city as I've appointed you. If any be blameless the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. For a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given, given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, meaning self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. So a man in this role must be able to exhort the congregation. He must be able to feed the flock of God with the faithful word that he has been taught, and he must be able to convince the gainsayers, use, being able to use sound doctrine to teach. And so these qualifications show us a clear picture of a man that is very godly in character. He is very godly in his family. He is a good husband. He is a good father. And he is very capable of teaching the word of God and he's looking out for the best interests of God's people. He's not in this role treating it as a title that he's achieved and he's you know, finally reached some measure of success, like thinking of it, you know, sometimes people think of it like a business world and they compare it to a business world as if you make it up to this level of manager, you've, you've got to some prestigious title. Uh, and a lot of people think that, I've heard that too, where they say, well, this guy's a great manager in business, therefore he would make a good elder. That's not a qualification, whether or not you're a good manager in the world of business. Uh, it, what matters is if you meet these qualifications. And so he's a man who's looking out for his best interest, not looking, uh, looking out for the best interest of others, rather than his own best interest and what he can get and what he can accomplish and what he can achieve in this role. It's more about helping the people around him and the, the flock that he's been appointed over. So looking back to all that we've studied so far in this series, here's some questions. How can a man serve as an elder in the church if he doesn't even believe in Jesus? He can't. How could he be appointed to an office of an elder if he doesn't even believe in the word? He can't. He's got to hold fast to the faithful word that he's been taught. 
That's why individual discipleship is so important. You need to believe in Christ and believe in His Word. What if you're not practicing self-control? How can a man be appointed to this office? Or if he can't teach the Word of God? Can a man be appointed to the church? Or how can a man serve as an elder, rather, if, if he's not even laboring among the sheep and doing, paying attention to their needs and trying to fulfill those needs? How can a man serve as an elder if he doesn't have a godly wife? Because that's a qualification as well. You must have a certain kind of wife, which we'll, we'll touch on here in a moment. And what if he doesn't rule his own house well? Not caring what his kids does, they can just do whatever they want, however they want. He's checked out, doesn't really, not really involved in their life. It's not possible. Because if he can't care for his own house, how can he, how can he take care of the church of God as, as God himself asks us this question? through the Holy Spirit, through the hands of the apostles, written for us to, to learn and understand. There's a deep connection to all that we've studied and to these qualifications. Um, real quick, what about the office of a deacon? Uh, the, the office of a deacon, um, that is a Greek word, uh, diakonos, which means an attendant. That is generally a waiter at a, table, at a table or other menial duties, a deacon or a minister or a servant. Uh, so deacons are in, a, in an absolutely critical and important function in the church, and it differs from the office of an elder in that a deacon's work focuses more on like serving the congregation in various ways rather than the oversight of the flock. So there's just a difference of responsibility that's placed on a, a deacon, um, or that isn't placed on a deacon, that is placed on an elder as far as oversight of souls of, of this flock. But they are there to assist and help in the development of the congregation and, and the service of the congregation. Um, and so while it's not a leadership role in the sense of uh, authoritative, authority given to them in the same way as elders, it absolutely still requires uh, a high degree of leadership qualities because you are a model of righteousness and you are showing the congregation how, how you ought to live and how, how you ought to be. And Paul talks about that in 1 Timothy 3.18. He speaks of the qualifications of elder that we just read, and he says, Likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre. So it's a similar, similar kind of man. Somebody who is serious-minded, you're not double-tongued, you're not living a double life, and you're not going to uh, be going back and forth on your word. Um, you're not pretending to be a Christian. You're not somebody who is given to much wine. You're, you're not living this party life and just taken, overtaken by by alcohol and these, these things like that. You're not in, indulging in all of those things. Uh, you're not greedy for filthy lucre. You're not just looking for ways to get more and more and more. But instead, you're a man who's holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. You believe in the scriptures. You believe that Christ is uh, the Son of God, and you are, you are living according to that in a pure conscience. Let these first also be proved, he said, and then let them use the office of a deacon, being found blameless. Let the deacons be the husband of one wife, ruling their children and their own house as well. For they that have used the office of a deacon will purchase to themselves a good degree and, a great, and great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And so it's not an inferior position and by any means. It is, a, it is that absolutely critical position. But there are differences as far as the responsibility that's placed on a deacon versus a, or an elder rather than a deacon. Um, but they're same, and they span the same areas in, in a man's life and show us a clear picture of a godly man. He has, he has excellent character because he is a disciple of Christ and following him and teaching and, or learning the word. He is leading a godly family. 
and he's looking out for the best interest of God's people. He's not self-willed and self-interested. And so, again, looking back to what we've studied so far, how can a man ever be appointed to the deacon if, one, he doesn't believe in Christ, if he doesn't believe in the Word, if he's not knowledgeable in the faith, and is not willing to serve other people? Uh, because we need to know and uphold those things. And what if he doesn't have a godly wife? And what if he doesn't rule his own house well? Same kind of thought process we should take when we're looking at men who, are, who could be appointed to the office of a deacon. We need to be asking these questions because it will absolutely impact and be a detriment to a congregation if we don't properly examine those questions. And again, it's important for us to uphold the, the scriptures. It's important for us to uphold the word, but especially a man who's in the role of a deacon and especially those of an elder, for sure. Uh, so a question that might often come up and especially is happening more and more now because there's all kinds of changes happening in our world, our society, um, and you see denominations taking on practices like appointing women to the role of deacons or appointing women even to the roles of, of pastors. Um, and so we know that this is a practice in the denominational world and, and even some churches of Christ are beginning to adopt those kinds of, of behaviors and those kinds of uh, titles and, and make these kinds of appointments of, of women to these roles. Uh, but can women serve in these roles? And the, the answer is no. A woman cannot serve in the office of an elder or in the office of a deacon. This is not something that the Bible tells us. And if we just look at the, the qualifications and examine these things that we've read here in these passages, for an elder, he says in verse 2, for Timothy 3, verse 2, a bishop then must be the husband of one wife. For a deacon, it's the same. First Timothy 3.12, let the deacons be the husband of one wife. So right there on its face alone, looking at the qualifications of, of the kind of person that God wants to be in this role, says he must be a husband. And it's not possible, regardless of what, you know, how the world today is trying to uh, reverse gender roles and gender terms and make things possible that are not possible, it's not possible for a woman to be a husband. It simply isn't. She's in the, she's in the role of a wife uh, in the relationship as we've studied, you know, in the previous studies. And she's, she's in the position of being a helper and she was created for a specific purpose in that role. And a husband is created for a specific role as well. Um, and it's not one about inferiority or not. This isn't because women are inferior that they can't hold these, these offices. It's simply because this is how God has designed the leadership of the church. He wants men to be in these positions um, and men to be leaders in these official capacities as far as being an elder or a deacon. And so it's not possible for a woman to meet that qualification and therefore it stands to reason that they cannot serve in this office. So does that mean a wife then has no responsibility if if she, are, if she is the wife of an elder or a wife of a deacon, no. Uh, because just because you're not a leader in this official ordained capacity doesn't mean that you have no responsibility to the, to the congregation um, and to your husband. Uh, in verse 11, it says, um, well, I, I missed that verse, but it says in verse 11, even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. So he even gives qualifications to the, the wife of, 
an elder or a deacon, and, and she must be of a certain quality. Because God expects a certain quality of man, uh, he expects him to have a certain quality of wife as well, if he's going to be appointed to these roles. Um, and so, thinking about a, the role of a wife, looking back to what we've studied, how can a wife even be... Uh, how can a man serve as an elder, a deacon rather, if his wife does not believe in Christ? If she does not believe in the Word, if she isn't pursuing holiness and walking in godliness and is not faithful in all things, it's not possible. And, and I know that there's been situations where men have not been qualified because their wives were just not of the, the quality that the Scriptures uh, give here as far as these qualifications. Um, and so it's important for us to, to understand and know that this position of an elder or a deacon, rather, uh, or an elder and a deacon can only be filled by, by men in a congregation, and there should be multiple men who are fulfilling these roles. Not just one man who is appointed because uh, there's a whole lot of problems that can come from that. Just practically speaking, uh, you know, the Bible does not show us a model where only one man should be the teacher of a congregation, but if multiple elders are in place, everyone's qualified to be a teacher, you're automatically going to have multiple teachers, and that helps the congregation grow even more uh, because you're getting more understanding and more knowledge from more men rather than just one. Uh, and so it really is a, a high-growth model, if you think about it that way, when you have multiple elders and multiple deacons able to serve. Uh, denominations, again, have a very different structure with titles and hierarchies like senior pastors and associate pastors or youth pastors or elder boards or minister or priest or cardinal or whatever, you know, popes, all kinds of made-up hierarchies and things that have been taken from the scriptures and twisted. And the point is, is if we desire to be a congregation that, that is going to thrive with God's blessings upon us, we must be the kind of congregation that is doing so following the wisdom of God and not man's. We have to follow the things that the scriptures teach us rather than the, the things that we find in the world. Even though it sounds good and has Christian terms applied to it, we need to be very thorough in our examination of that so that we're not misled. Um, so the next question is, what does this work even look like? If a man is appointed to the office of an elder and, and even the office of a deacon, these, these things apply, um, how or what does that work even look like that they should carry out? Well, we read in 1 Timothy 3, verse 4 and 5, he says that this man should be one that rules his own house, having his children in subjection, and that's a similar quality that's given, or qualification that's given to the office of a deacon. He says, for if a man doesn't know how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? That's a very critical question as we look at the, the responsibility and look at the work that is carried out. And so uh, everything that we've studied about you as an individual, about you as a husband, about you as a father, absolutely applies to the work that you will do as an elder or a deacon or that a man's going to do in that role. Uh, it's very similar to that work as a husband and a work as a father. Uh, and it's very much like a family. And that's what he's saying. If you don't know how to take care of your own family, how can you take care of God's family? And that's exactly what the Bible describes in the same chapter in verse 15, he says, But if I tarry long, that you may know how you ought to behave yourself in the house of God, or the family of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. We're dealing with God's family. A man who is appointed to this role as an elder or a deacon, you're dealing with God's family. And if you don't know how to take care of your own family, 
How can you be entrusted to take care of God's family? And so we need to look at those connections. We're going to make connections to what we've studied previously to understand how this work is very similar. And that's exactly why it was necessary for us to go back or to start from where we have and understand the skills that a man needs to lead a congregation in the first place. And so these verses show us very clearly that a man can learn how to be a spiritual leader of his own family, and that will translate and carry into his service as an elder or as a deacon as he cares for God's family. Um, firstly, this must be, this responsibility, just like your responsibility as a husband and a father, it's got to start with the foundation of love. It can't be just because you were forced into it. It can't just be because you were thrust into this responsibility and now you're, you're carrying it out just because it's obligation. It has to be built on love, just the way your marriage is built on. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, or should be built on. If Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church, and he gave himself for it. There's so much we learn about the relationship of a husband and wife and that we've talked about that applies to the way a man should be looking at the bride of Christ. If you're appointed to care for the bride of Christ, you need to love her the way that you love your own wife. Uh, be interested in serving her. Be interested in giving yourself up for the church. Um, sacrifice for your wife and make sure that it's born out of love and not out of just this, you know, oh, I've got to do this thing now. I've got I to gotta love my wife. It's like, be excited about loving your wife and sacrificing for her. And that same attitude is going to translate into how you treat the church. As an elder or a deacon, it requires that same type of self-sacrificing love. And, and if there's no love to begin with, there's just really no point. There's no point in, in doing the work if it's not motivated by love for God's bride, the bride of Christ. And so that's why it's important for you to learn to love your own bride and sacrifice so that it translates and carries over into the way that you treat the bride of Christ. Uh, and just as a man is a, a model of righteousness for his home, because he's been appointed as the leader of his home for his wife and his children, so then leaders in the church, elders and deacons, must be examples to the flock of, of uh, righteousness and of godliness and leading the way in, in uh, being the kind of man that is worth imitating. Peter said of the elders in 1 Peter 5, verse 3, he says, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. Just like in your marriage and just like with your children, you should not treat your wife as a slave. Yes, she's a helpmeet, but she's not a slave. We've talked about that in, in more detail in previous studies, if you'll recall. And it's not like you tr should treat your children as slaves and you're overlords over them and you're you've got this iron fist mentality and you're going to submit to me no matter what because I'm the man. That's not how it should be in a marriage or as, as a husband. And that's not how it should be in God's family. If you're appointed to the office of an elder, then you need to be not an overlord over God's heritage, something that belongs to him, but instead you should live as an example to the flock. You're leading the way in being a model of righteousness for a congregation. And you must set the tone properly uh, and be the kind of man that's worth following. Because a congregation's leadership absolutely sets the tone for the rest of the flock. I mean, you think about it. If, if a eldership is not in the field working with the sheep and motivated to help them and interested in serving what they need, do you think the rest of the flock is going to care about doing that for each other? Probably not. 
um, you know, what you show in your conduct as a leader is the conduct that you're passing down to the flock. And, you know, in speaking to an evangelist who is, is experienced in going out and, and uh, helping to appoint elders and training elders and all, all of that work, he said over the years he's noticed that a congregation becomes a reflection of the men that are appointed to elders. And so some of the weak areas that they might have, are they kind of come out in the way the congregation is. Um, and so we need to be mindful of that and be the model of righteousness for the congregation, leading the way in that sense. Not as overlords, not as masters over other people, uh, but as, as an example of leadership to them that's worth following. Just like in a marriage uh, and in a family, we ought to be having unity. We ought to be together, and there's, there's oneness between a husband and a wife. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 29 talks about this. He says, For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, even as the Lord, the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. He's speaking of the relationship of a husband and wife, and a wife is a part of you. If you are a, if you are a man that is married, you are a, a, your wife is a part of you. Um, you are one flesh. There should be a oneness between you that, that is uh, embodied in this way because a man should not hate his own flesh and treat his own body terribly, but instead we nourish it and we cherish it and we put all this care and attention and time into our own bodies. We ought to do the same for our wives, putting time and attention of, into nourishing and cherishing her. And if that's true for us as husbands to our own brides, it's true for us as men who are appointed to care for the bride of Christ. We ought to put the time and attention into nourishing and cherishing what belongs to the Lord. And we must promote unity, this oneness, this closeness, and, and represent that well in the way we're working together, in the way we're promoting uh, the same mindset that we ought to have and share that is based on the foundation of the Scriptures. This is what Paul told the Corinthians. This is a problem they had. They were all disconnected and there was no unity and there wasn't a oneness. But here's what he instructs them to do. 1 Corinthians 1.10, he says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. And that's the work and that's part of the responsibility of promoting faithfulness to the bride of Christ, promoting unity in the bride of Christ is elders should be promoting oneness among the, the flock of God's people that they've been appointed to. Speak the same things, don't be divided, but be joined together in the scriptures that we have been given. Um, and this goes into the next point, which is providing. We talked about providing for his family, a man that provides for his family. And it's not just about money. That's just the common thing that we kind of gravitate to. It's like, well, I need to go get a paycheck. That's me providing for my family. But then a man might be, when he, in, in his relationship with his wife or his relationship with his children, is disconnected, he's not present, he's not helping, he's not there, he's not training, he's not loving, he's not nourishing. Can a man be a provider if he's not doing those things? And we very clearly, I think, answered that question and showed from the scriptures that that's not true, and it can't be. Uh, you are actually failing in your responsibility and are worse than an infidel if if you are not looking for the needs of your family and working hard to meet those needs beyond, mo beyond money. And so, just in that same way, an elder must provide for a congregation and feed the flock of God. He says in 1 Peter 5, verse 2, feed the flock of God which is among you. Be the kind of, uh, 
in your relationships, be the kind of man who is providing for his family, looking out to their needs, not neglecting them, so that if you're appointed to the office of an elder, you will take care to, uh, you will take care of the flock of God and not neglect what they need. Because we need to ensure, if you're in this office, and if ever appointed to this office, ensure that things are, the congregation is healthy, that they are well-fed, they have what they need to thrive. It's an elder's responsibility to look beyond Sunday services and go, well, you know, we had a good service, we had a good crowd, you know, people led songs and they did the prayers. Check all these boxes and say, yes, the congregation is healthy. That's not eldership. That's important and that's needed, but we need to look beyond the needs of, of Sunday morning and Sunday services to the needs of the flock and understand what are people struggling with? What are people hurting? Where are they hurting? What's the pain they're experiencing in their life? What's the sin that they're struggling with? Where are the gaps in their knowledge? Where are they weak in? And putting the time and effort to provide what is needed for their spiritual growth. And just as it's sinful for a man to neglect his family and not be a, a, a provider, it is also sinful for a, an elder to be appointed to this role and be unaware and inconsiderate about what the congregation needs and just leaving them to fend for themselves. It doesn't make a good shepherd when you have a flock of sheep and you're like, all right, get out there in the field and good luck. I'm going to go entertain myself. I'm going to go look out for my own self. I'm too busy. I'm too tired. I'm too whatever to make sure that you have what you need. It is a sin, I, I believe, if church leaders are not going to, to take the responsibility seriously and feed the flock. Uh, 